Welcome to Three Women, Three Ways. An interesting show, I think, this week. An interesting, um, poignant, and very, very um, concerning. I have four representatives from the Washington State Patrol with me. The reason that I've invited them to come is because I live in Washington State, and in our state and possibly other states, I'm not sure, we'll find out, there is a crisis of missing indigenous people, mostly women, but these people are missing. And it hasn't gotten a lot of publicity. It hasn't gotten a lot of attention from most of the general public. But one entity has given it a lot of attention, at least, and that is the Washington State Patrol. So I have with me Patty Gosh. Patty, welcome. Hello. Patty is, uh, has been with the State Patrol for 30 years, and she's been in criminal law, and she's also um, with tribal relations and working on this particular issue. I have Dawn Pullen, who's also with the State Patrol, and she uh, deals with Spokane um, area and uh, obviously Indigenous people all over the state, and I'll let her tell a little bit more about what she's doing. Carrie Gordon, um, she manages the Washington State Missing Person Clearinghouse, which is under the Missing Persons uh, Unit, and Chris Loftus, who is Director of Communication. All of these people deal with the issue, the problem, and the crisis of missing Indigenous people. Patty, let's start with you. Tell us a little bit more uh, completely what it is that you are doing with this issue and with the State Patrol. So uh, our positions uh, became uh, from, a, from a house bill in November 2019. Don and I are, um, uh, our, our team of tribal liaisons for both Washington's west side and east side. We work shoulder to shoulder as a team. For myself, I bring in uh, the law enforcement background, investigative background. Um, I'll let Don bring, tell you a little more about what she does, but she has the tribal and the community experience. So together, we're a pretty strong team. Um, our primary uh, position is to work with the tribes, tribal law enforcement, our tribal law enforcement, tribal citizens, community members, and kind of help them navigate um, through, uh, na navigate the law enforcement system when trying to report missing people and work with Carrie um, with a missing persons unit to make sure that people are identified correctly and in the system. Okay. Thank you. Don, can you, can you elaborate a little bit on your position with the State Patrol and what you're doing with this issue? Sure. So I'm the tribal liaison for Washington State Patrol, and I'm uh, stationed on the east side of the state. Uh, when the bill was passed, they identified east and west side positions, and so I was in. And just to, Patty and I work shoulder to shoulder. We're not limited to the east and west side, but just the entire state. Okie doke. Getting a little feedback on your audio, Dawn, so if you could kind of check and see if you have anything else turned on besides your computer audio, I'd appreciate it. Carrie, Carrie Gordon, um, tell us about the Missing Person Clearinghouse. What does that have to do with the Indigenous uh, person's problem and what is your role? So each state has a missing persons clearinghouse as designated by uh, federal statute back in the early 80s. It started as a missing children's clearinghouse and has since evolved into a clearinghouse related to all missing persons in each state. So essentially, we're the repository for all missing person records. And um, in that role, we work with the um, tribal liaisons, Patty and, and Dawn, with regard to ensuring that the records that are in the system are in there accurately and um, we are able to, we're uniquely able to pull reports for all law enforcement agencies in the state with regard to their missing person records. So um, if you're an individual law enforcement agency in Washington, you can look up your own records, but as the clearinghouse, we can look up uh, all missing records for the entire state, any agency's records. So the uh, tribal law or, or some other entity could contact you and say, you know, this we, we're dealing with this particular missing person. Um, what records do you have on this person? What's been done to try and find that person? Um, just reporting. I, I wouldn't know about investigative steps because those are held at the local law enforcement level. Um, but I can ensure that records are entered um, accurately and in, in every system they need to be in in order to be searchable by law enforcement around the country. And Chris, I understand from my, my research and talking with Patty before, one of the issues here, one of the problems um, is a lack of um, publicity, a lack of, of getting the word out. Uh, what is your experience with that? 
Well, I, I think that that's one of the reasons I'm on the call. One of the reasons that uh, my, my division works so, uh, closely on this is the government media relations side of the house here at Washington State Patrol. Uh, it's not enough to uh, be the, you know, the, the best clearinghouse or work with the best investigators. You've also got to tell the best story to, to people so they understand. They understand uh, the human drama of this. These are not just statistics. These are human beings. This is their, their, there's a cultural component to it. There's a historical component to it. There's an administrative component to it. There, there's, there's so much to this story. Uh, and uh, my, my office is, is charged with, with getting that word out. And uh, slowly but surely we have with, with uh, Carrie's uh, work has been going on for, for many years, but Don and, and, uh, and Patty came along here in the last couple, three years. Uh, and we've gotten a lot of, a, a lot of um, publicity, but more important, we've gotten a lot of attention to a, a problem that uh, it's just easy to drive by and not even know it exists. Um, and that's, that's what we're here to do is, is to get people to, to know one, there's a problem and two, what to do if, if, if it touches their lives, what are the resources that are available and, and how can we find these folks? How can we bring resolution to families who are dealing with uh, unknowns and with loss? Uh, and how can we work together in law enforcement to minimize the, the chances of this problem from escalating in the future? Yeah. One of the things that we've seen in untold cases, uh, you know, throughout, I'm, I mean, what I'm thinking of right now is like the Green River Killer, uh, which was a notorious uh, serial murderer in our state uh, from probably, what, 30 years ago now. Um, but he killed dozens of women, but they were prostitutes or, you know, in that uh, community. And so it went on for years before it actually, somebody went, wait a minute, let's connect the dots here. Wait a minute, this is a huge issue. I think we as a culture are pretty notorious about ignoring things or not even seeing things unless they fit our demographic. Is that part of the problem with this? I think so. And I think that the, uh, we've generally in culture, I, I think that we've gone from a, a world where we used to talk to one another on our front porches to a world that we we talk to ourselves on our back decks you know we, we've become isolated uh, more and more so it seems that that technology would would link us more and bring us more together but in some ways it's, it's made us uh, more siloed in our lives because we don't need to to physically interact and to, to, to see folks we've lost a sense of community and one of the things that we're trying to do is get people to realize it's the community of humanity it's the, it's, you know, we're, we're a big state. Uh, we're, our, our state's a lot larger than a lot of countries out there. And we're a, as you know, I mean, we, we can be, uh, you can be in the height of, a, of an urban environment with high population density in Seattle or Spokane or Yakima, but you can go 25 or 30 miles in any direction. You can be not just in the woods, you can be in wilderness. You can, you can be in, a, in areas where, where uh, bad things can happen and nobody notices. Uh, and so we've got to be the folks that when bad things happen, we notice mm -hmm. and we do something about it and that we get the rest of our community to, to notice as well. Yeah. Now we're talking right now with um, about Washington State, but Carrie, this is not just our state's problem, right? No, in fact, there are um, several of my partners around the country are working on similar um, types of issues um, and, and methods of addressing those issues. Um, I do know that states with the larger, you know, indigenous populations um, are, are uh, you know, obviously a lot more active and um, working similar paths as we are in trying to ensure that the reporting methods are all um, stabilized and, you know, in, in, in processed correctly. So no, definitely not unique to Washington, but Washington's um, uh, legislation and establishment of the tribal liaison positions is, is unique, um, you know, as far as other states around the country. I've, I've addressed it differently, but, you know, trying to get similar outcomes. Mm -hmm. Dawn, one of the things that I have heard just anecdotally is sometimes in some communities, it's difficult working with the tribal police um, that perhaps there's a lack of trust or lack of communication or whatever. Have you experienced that? And if so, does that exacerbate the problem or does a lack of that help, the, help with solving the problem? 
Uh, just based on my personal experience, being a Spokane Travel Citizen and working for the tribe, uh, when outsiders want to say partner or inquire or communicate with uh, tribal governments, we're a little bit suspicious and so you have to build that trust. And so based on my experience, it's, it hasn't been difficult working with tribal but we do need to establish that relationship with tribes and you know it's been historically um challenging and so it's not going to happen overnight and it's yeah. definitely not going to happen in two years so we just have to be consistent continue to communicate and um, you know offer assistance but the tribal governments that you work with recognize this as a huge problem and something that needs to be dealt with or uh, is is it seen as just one more problem to deal with well, it just depends on the tribe. You know, we have 29 recognized tribe. They're all sovereign nations and they're all different. They all have unique experiences and challenges. Yeah. So, for example, on my reservation, uh, we may have missing people, but they're mostly juveniles and they return within a couple of days. But then you have the Yakima Nation, who has some uh, historically criminal activities that people don't get found. And so it's more of a crisis. So it's just different to everybody. Carrie, are you aware, is it any different, you know, like I come from, I was born in Ohio, so I'm used to, you know, uh, different tribes and Oklahoma has different tribes than out here. I think sometimes when, when you live out here, you forget that there are also indigenous people all over the country. Um, but in, in your experience, um, does it just depend on the, the tribe as far as reporting or does it, is it, is it gaining traction among all the tribes or is it still, catch as catch can, uh, what's your experience with that? You know, I don't have um, specific information, but I can say that um, you're correct in that each individual tribe's relationship um, is different um, with, with their partners and their surrounding communities and such. So yeah, I would just echo what Dawn said. It's just an ongoing issue around the country. And it, it does depend on the individual tribe, their experiences with law enforcement, that historical perspective. You know, it's just going to be different uh, depending on where you're from and what part of the country and what uh, the relationship is with local law enforcement. So, Patty, um, you and I talked a, a little bit uh, at length uh, a while ago about this particular issue, and you identified a number of problems, um, primarily getting the word out getting people to recognize this as a problem. And I understand that in our state, we've made some strides, but what are some of the other issues that we're dealing with? Who are the missing people? Um, when I first started reading about this, it was always referred to as missing women. And then it was referred to as missing people. So I'm thinking, okay, so are, is it, you know, about 50-50 or is that just kind of like, you know, trying to use more inclusive language or is that really, uh, a problem for both genders, or is this a women's problem? Do you, do you see what I'm asking? Can you elaborate a little bit more on what exactly is this problem? So when we first started in November, it was about 60-40 male to female. Um, now that we're putting the list out, we're making it more public and we're getting more information out. Um, those numbers have um, pretty much become a 50-50. I think today we have 54 male and 51 female that are missing. Um, but the other part of it, too, is a lot of people, when they think about uh, Indian communities and people missing, they're thinking about the reservations. And the majority of our folks who are missing are actually missing from off-reservation communities, like urban cities, suburban areas, even rural areas. Um, in some of those cases, uh, it might be that tribal law enforcement is reporting it, but they have to report through the, their adjoining county partners because they don't have a way to report for themselves. So it's we don't have a way of knowing exactly where each tribal um, person who's missing, uh, where they're from. We don't know where they're enrolled. Uh, we, we kind of make a, a educated guess and through talking through tribal law enforcement of who is and who's not a tribal member. Um, but overall, we don't have information. We have large populations in Spokane and say Bellingham, Kennewick and Seattle uh, that come from all over the country. Um, that are, are tribal, but they're not from reservations areas here in Washington state. Chris, you mentioned the loss of community that we are experiencing everywhere. I, I always say we have so many ways to communicate and yet we communicate so poorly. 
um, with each other right now. Um, that sense of community, is that different with, I, I would think that if you, and maybe this is, um, you know, faulty thinking, but I would think that if I were a member of a tribe, that's a community. And if that's a good solid community, um, you know, yay, you know, good, good for us. And I, I think that there are many cultural enclaves that are very strong and, and offer many resources. I think uh, part of going back to some of your earlier questions, there's some overlay of jurisdictional issues here. You know, we have 29 federally recognized tribes or many tribal communities themselves. So there's going to be a law enforcement uh, on those tribal uh, lands that are separate from the the county or the, the near city or municipal law enforcement. Then you have us, the Washington State Patrol and the state law enforcement, and then you have the FBI and the, uh, yeah, uh, the, the Bureau of Indian Management. There's, there's, a, there's just so many overlays of jurisdiction that you would think that in a perfect world that would reinforce community, that would make sure there, was, there were no gaps. But unfortunately, uh, it, it lends itself to assumptions assumption that it's somebody else's job, assumption that it's somebody else's problem or somebody else's challenge, somebody else's case. Um, when we're missing people to that family, it's, it, it doesn't matter what law enforcement agency is, is supporting them or not supporting them. For that family, that's 100% of, of law enforcement's focus or should be. Uh, and it's just easy sometimes for, for different communities, especially in rural parts of the state and, and isolated, geographically isolated parts of the state, to, to fall through the cracks instead of being under a, a greater or stronger umbrella. And I think that's one of the things that we're trying to do, trying to bring some cohesion and consistency to the approach so that every case gets its just due and that uh, every missing person, uh, female, male, uh, juvenile, uh, adult, senior, whomever it, it is, we wanna make sure that somebody's really looking for them instead of somebody just missing them. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's, that's the job that, that this team is trying to accomplish. Well, and that's an interesting point that I didn't think of. I was thinking community as in the individuals within the community. I wasn't thinking about the law enforcement community that also needs to communicate and, and um, um, coordinate. Patty, what are our numbers like in the state? Is it typical throughout the country? Um, uh, how does the, how do the numbers of uh, you, uh, you mentioned 54 and 52 um, missing indigenous people right now? How many missing general in the general population? Are, is this a higher percentage? Is this is this about the same, or is where where are we here? Well, we have different populations across the state, but unfortunately, I don't have access to um, interstate information as to what the um, statistics are for each each state. Mm -hmm. What's your um, guess? Well. I've heard from many people that Washington numbers are high, but Washington numbers are high because we're getting in, in the system and people are being counted. Um, there's a, when we first started, people were in the system, but they weren't in the system necessarily as Native American, they were in the system as another race. And so when the question came out, how many missing Native people do we have, our numbers appeared low until we started really look, taking a look and breaking it down. And we did that by sharing with the tribal law enforcement um, agencies and tribal communities and asking people, if you know of a Native person who's missing, are, there, are they on this list? And inevitably, they, people were calling us and saying, my family member's not on your list, and we would find them in the system, but we'd find them um, marked as other than Native American. So I'm, I'm imagining that if Washington State had that problem in the beginning, and we have made great strides to correct that, um, that the rest of the country is also having um, similar difficulties but I'm not, I can't tell you what one state to another is doing to fix, fix those problems. I'm wondering if there is, and this might be a silly question, but I'm gonna ask it anyway, because I have no pride. Um, <laughs> is there a typical missing indigenous person? No, yeah. um, the only thing typical is it's a person who's missing. Mm -hmm. um, we have people who we have a good idea what happened to them. Um, we have people who we don't have any idea what happened to them. We have people who are uh, frequent runaways. Um, we have folks who are um, 
there are suspects in investigations as to what might have happened to them. There's not, a, it's nothing typical about anything. We have um, a lot of people talk about the homeless as though they're less deserving to um, have help and have assistance from, you know, if they're reported missing. But we have, we have homeless folks who are, um, have, are homeless for many different reasons, not just because of drugs or, or mental health illness. We had a young man who um, had gone to California to, to have a great experience and have a new life. And he was promptly robbed and, of his phone and his um, money. And when I was younger, we had to remember grandma's phone number, right? If I lost my phone now, I would be in a whole world of hurt. I wouldn't know who or how to get a hold of anybody. So you imagine a young person who's never had to do that, and somebody takes their phone and their money. They have no financial resources. They have no way of calling home for help, um, and they have no way of, of, of seeking that assistance. So um, to say there's anything typical of one or a lifestyle, that's not true. It's, it's a little bit of everything. What of age group? Is there is it more younger people than older people and middle age or middle aged people or? Uh, I would say the long term uh, folks are older, mm -hmm. um, partly because they're they've aged, but also some of them. Um, it was a different time in the seventies, maybe a different time in the eighties than what we have, you know, with COVID and everybody staying home. Mm -hmm. um, but I in the last month or so, we have seen an increase in juveniles missing. Um, we don't have the full information because again, it's not our case. We're not proprietary owners, um, but we can see how old they are when they were missing, what day they went missing, um, sometimes how many times they've been missing. Um, but we don't have a, I mean, there's custody cases, there's runaways, there's, we don't know what happened to them. There's um, incidents of accidents, um, you know, people being washed overboard. Um, from a boating accident, um, but we've never located those people. So until we find out one way or the other, we can make assumptions, but they're missing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Carrie, are you seeing in the records, are you seeing any uh, particular trend or um, uh, group or uh, age group or, you know, occupation group or anything where there, there might be a more uh, likelihood of someone being missing or is it all just totally random? Well, I think historically the, the um, runaway youth um, in that teenage age group is, is probably the predominant number as, as, it's, as it's been, you know, as far as I can um, trace it back um, for whatever reason. Um, but other than that, no. I mean, if you look outside of that demographic, there really is no standout, um, you know, consistent high risk uh, demographic other than the the teenage the persistent runaways the frequent runaways yeah and that's high risk in the general population as well absolutely right yes uh, all those kids you know <laughs> those kids <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah um patty can you kind of walk me through it how do you find out that there's a missing indigenous person that you need to be working on or trying to find? How are you notified? How do you find out about it? And then what is the process for you? What steps do you go through to start that ball rolling? So a lot of it is uh, straight phone calls from either community or family members looking for help. Um, uh, don't know who to call, don't know who to report their missing person. We get a lot of calls from um, outside of the state where we know they know that their missing person is missing in Washington state, um, usually in one of the urban areas. Um, and there's, I mean, there's several things we can do. If it's a person who's older, um, has a credit history, we might check some databases to see if, if they're, you know, electronically have a footprint, you know, if we have an idea where to look. Um, but our primary thing is, again, to make sure the people are in the system. Um, when we go in and make sure that they're reported, we help those families get to the right person to report, where the last person, if it's from an out-of-state person, we will uh, contact the agency where they were last known to be and help them get their missing person report set up. Um, and then we, uh, you know, we, we make them as visible as possible. You know, um, Don and I are two people where we can't hop in a car with, with Carrie and Chris and, and run to Bellingham to find a missing person. That's, it's not realistic. We can't do that. But we can't do have other resources and we have partners that we can share and we consult with regularly. Um, to get the information out and get as much assistance to the family as possible. 
Chris, what from your angle, from what does the state patrol is it is it I'm trying to get a handle on this because there's so many entities, enforcement entities that seem to be involved in this. Um, I can Im only imagine how difficult it is to coordinate. Um, but when Patty gets a call uh, that that there's a missing indigenous person, what does your office do? What what part do you play in getting the word out about that person? Well, there are a number of special programs that we use when we have a, uh, uh, you know, Carrie ha has a, a, a listserv that she puts out to, to get the word out. We have a, a partnership with a major trucking uh, firm uh, that we actually put the photos and age progressed photos of children that have been missing for some time. And we've done that in the, in the, uh, in the tribal community as well and get those, those trucks out on, the, uh, out on the road and saying, have you seen me call this number? Uh, the actual investigation uh, of, of any missing person is going to be left to the to the local agency who who is you know the, the police agency that's responding to whatever the the situation was. I think one of the things that has surprised me in all of this, um, you know, we put out press releases and we we list such and such a person is missing, such and such a, a situation. We're going to do this. Uh, this activity, this, this uh, uh, you know, put the person's uh, face on, on trucks and drive them around the western side of the United States and, and get people interested. But the probably the biggest news story that I've been involved in and in all of this was when Don and Patty simply created the first list. You know, that was news in itself that we actually put together a list of all these different tribes, of all these different folks from different eras, different decades that have been missing, different situations. And there was one, one list that targeted and focused on Native American community. Uh, we had calls from all over the country on, on that. Whereas when we do some of these things that are specific to a person or specific to a situation, it, it, I, and I'm not trying to, to be glib, but, but it becomes episodic. It becomes, oh, that's the story that that was that was Friday's news release, and that was Saturday's coverage. Mm -hmm. But when we did that list, we had weeks and weeks, if not months and months, of people from all over the country saying, "Well, well tell me about this. Why, why did you make a list?" And, and it's just, I remember when, when when Patty and Don came to me and said, "Hey, we want to promote this." And it was just so self-evident to me. I was like, "Well, that's not news that we that we have a <laughs> that we actually compile information and that we keep it and that we organize it, that it's thoughtful and that it's searchable." Uh, but it was. It was a huge endeavor. Other states were calling, saying, "Well, tell me how you did this," and I was like. We we made a list. We took a pencil and we wrote. Yeah, but 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 I, I think that tells you how far and how disparate the information and sources of information were. Yeah. And so I always try to put myself in the family, you know, I'm a father, I'm a grandfather. I try to put, I put myself in that father's role, that grandfather's role. If my child or my grandchild is missing how that would be the singular most important thing going on earth that would eclipse ukraine that would eclipse covid that would eclipse the weather that would eclipse everything until we found that child and we we've simply in and the native populations because of their unique sovereignty uh it politically sometimes that, that geographical location sometimes um some tribal uh, dissonance and, and, and differences of opinion, sometimes different government, government agencies having differing opinions and different systems. Because of all of that, we've, we've allowed some of those stories to just, to just fall in, in, in through the cracks in the ground mm -hmm. and, and to be lost. And that's just, it, that's unjust. It's, it's not who we are as a people. It's not who we are as an agency. So uh, again, I was just amazed that simply doing the most obvious and most basic thing uh, was seen as revolutionary. And um, so I tip, I tip my hat to, to Don and Patty because when they came to me and said, hey, we need to put out a press release that we, we made this list, I, I almost laughed. I thought, well, that's like putting out a press release that the elevator in our building works. You know, it, 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 it's not news. 
Yeah. Uh, but it was big news, and, yeah. and so I was wrong. Yeah. Well, and again, we as individuals, all of us human beings, if we can't relate to something, we don't, it's hard to get on board, it's hard to get, get interested or even to retain the information. But once you see a list of people's names, I mean, look at the Vietnam Wall, you know, I mean, you see that list of names and all of a sudden you understand the, the depth yeah. of this. It's, it's real. And, you know, and Carrie has been doing the same sort of thing with, with other communities and the, and the statewide for, for years and years and years. And it, uh, yeah, like I say, we, we, ha we have to literally put a 10-foot photo of somebody's face on, on a moving billboard going down the highway uh, before people would notice. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, the, the work that she does with, with that, where we have those age progression photos so that you, you see that child that's been missing for 10 years and it's not a child anymore. That, that, that little 11-year-old girl is now a young woman somewhere. And that young woman is, is still loved and still missed and, and still needs to be found. And if she has, has departed this world through nefarious means of some bad person some, on some very bad day, even finding that out so that, that family can have that resolution and, and, and can, can, know, um, you know, can know pain and, and instead of the, the constant worry and fear um, you know, there's a there it's it's there's a kindness to, to that information even though it's the most harsh and and difficult message to hear yeah. uh, we've got to we've got to do everything we can to find these these folks and if we can't find them to bring resolution to those families you know one of the things that actually surprised me which shouldn't have and and, and now that I think about it um, I was surprised that it was this Washington State Patrol that you know, was was kind of leading this charge, at least in this aspect. Because um, I just, you know, I mean, I think I'm like most people, I think of the State Patrol is, you know, behind me with the radar gun on the road, you know. Um, and so obviously, Washington State Patrol is more than highway, you know, sure. monitoring. Um, when did the state patrol become involved with this? How long has it been? I mean, I, I it, again, I don't have a lot of depth of experience with this, but it seems to me if I had somebody missing, I would call my local police first and assume that they would know how to take it places. I wouldn't necessarily call the state patrol. So well, that's, how, you'd be doing the right thing to call your local police first. Uh, but somebody, when, when people missing, those situations don't know borders. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that, it, you know the, someone missing in Seattle is also missing in Spokane <laughs> because we don't know where they are. And they may be in Spokane or they may be out of state and, and you need a larger agency. And, and we, uh, Carrie's probably the right person to talk about the history of how, how the missing persons unit has developed and so forth. This particular focus on Native Americans has been in the last three or four years, the political impetus for it coming in 2018, 2019, our hiring of these, these folks uh, a little bit later. Um, but as far as the state patrol itself, we've been since 1933, we've been around since 1921, we just celebrated our hundredth year. Uh, and for the first uh, 12 years, we were what you were suggesting. Only it was, we were, as a matter of fact, it was called the Washington State Highway Patrol until 1933, where we got full law enforcement uh, duties for the state and, and effectively became the Washington State Police Force. But we stayed with, you know, but with the safety for the traveling public, one of our primary uh, objectives and responsibilities, but we we handle everything. We handle executive protection for the governor and for visiting dignitaries. We we handle major crime investigation. We basically handle anything that goes beyond the capacity of a local sheriff's or or uh, police uh, chief's ability. Uh, you know, they, they just don't have the forensic skills and the, the capacity that we have with our labs and, and so forth. So anything that, that goes beyond the border of that, that town, that city, or that county falls into our auspices. Recently, and this may be an irrelevant question, but I'm just curious. Um, recently in our state, we've passed a lot of 
legislation um, that many police departments are complaining about that, that hinders their investigations and and their pursuit of lawbreakers. Um, have any of those um, laws impacted the state patrol as well, or is that, yeah? Oh yes, ma'am. Uh, and and those, you know, the, the pendulum swings. Those those were in response to to uh, a number of issues that have happened in the last couple of years. Of course, with George Floyd's uh, in, in Minneapolis, with Emmanuel Ellis, Ellis and, and Tacoma. There have been our, our our newscasts are replete with stories of police misdeeds or with the historical relationship between law enforcement and communities of color being challenged. I, I wish that news stories were just as replete of the wonderful and noble things that are happening every day. But even though, even if it's 999 to one, and I think that's probably about right as far as the, the good to the bad, we have to be accountable for the bad. We have to be accountable when one of our, when anyone wearing a badge uh, does something that they should not have done and doesn't treat people with the respect, dignity, and the, the value that, that is absolutely demanded by our profession. Those, those, reform, those reform bills were, were in response and, and were all well intended, but some of them have had uh, a real, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, real, uh, have placed limitations on, on what our folks can do. Uh, and some of those limitations have, we've pushed against and now you're gonna see some of the reform being reformed. Yeah. It'll take a while. But when it comes down to it, we work for the citizens of the state. Uh, and when they say that they want us to do things a certain way, and if they say they want us to focus on something, that's what we do. A few years ago, they told us, we want you to focus on, on missing Native American uh, women and men. Uh, we want you to make sure that every citizen of the state, every visitor of the state, every resident of the state is, is treated equally and fairly. We don't want anyone left behind. And, uh, and that's what this effort's all about. Yeah. Carrie, can you just briefly tell us how this unit actually came to be? Um, I mean, we're getting the sense that it was a directive to um, go ahead and, and focus on this, uh, create a department to do that. Um, I'm assuming that was legislative as well, or was that internal? Um, so the establishment of the clearinghouses was as a result of federal legislation back in the early 80s um, by then President Ronald Reagan um, in response to the ongoing issue of abducted children in the early 80s, late 70s timeframe. Um, but it evolved, obviously. Um, in the 80s timeframe is, to be honest, during you mentioned the Green River Killer and, and the Green River Task Force played a huge role in the establishment of what the missing person missing and unidentified persons unit is today with regard to us, us, my unit and, and under the state patrol umbrella being the repository for all dental records related to missing and unidentified human remains. And that was as a direct result of the Green River Killers um, uh, killing spree in the, in the 80s and, and early 90s. So that's kind of what established us as the clearinghouse, kind of the repository for all records and that now more specifically the dental records. Um, but, you know, our umbrella is, is very overreaching with regard to missing persons uh, around the state. So we can assist in any way because we are law enforcement. And, and you mentioned, you know, the, the question about why it's held at the state patrol level. And in different states, the clearinghouse is under different umbrellas. Some states it's held under the attorney, state attorney general's office. Um, in some states, it's the Bureau of, of Criminal Investigations. They have an overseeing entity in their state that oversees all law enforcement function. So it just depends on the state, but for our purposes, having it held at the state patrol level, we being law enforcement, we have capability, like Patty mentioned, to do investigative work, to do research into databases and, and assist in that role. You know, whereas we're not primary investigators with boots on the ground out there, you know, driving the streets, we can provide research and recommendations and that liaison role between families and law enforcement. We're we're civilian staff. We're not police officers. We don't carry guns. So we we are that really um, 
in some sense, you know, with the families, we're, we're a neutral ground where they can come and, and get answers. Um, maybe they're frustrated with the way their investigation's going, and we can provide, you know, some feedback into why things may be happening the way that they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it's it's a unique position. Um, one of our one of our volunteers for our our group, one of our volunteer forensic odontologists, likes to call us the best kept secret in Washington because we just, you know, how do you advertise? <laughs> for the fact that we are, you know, a clearinghouse for all records, you know, and a lot of law enforcement agencies just don't understand what our role can be and how we can help them. Mm-hmm. And so it's a unique it's a unique position and it's a good partnership now with the with the tribal liaisons. It's just kind of all tied together and we're all in this together. We all bring, you know, our various roles and our various resources to the table in these investigations. So it's it's uh thank unique. you. Thank you. Patty I'm ready for a success story. Do you have a success story that you can share with us? We do have success stories. Don, what do you think? Should we go with a gentleman from Canada? Yeah, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we had a family call us from in Canada and said that they believed their uncle was in, had been in the come to the United States and was missing 57 years ago. And my jaw just kind of dropped like, wow, what are we going to do with this? <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, but we called our partners. We called, uh, had told the family what they needed to do, where we could help them here. And he was found. He was in California. So when we talk about um, we, our missing people, sometimes our missing people are, have just left. And um, there's a family you know, a family situation that they just don't want to be a part of anymore. And this, this I'll call him a young man. Let's call him this young man was so thrilled that somebody came to his door to find out if he was okay. Um, and this was uh, this was working with uh, Bellingham PD, um, RCMP, and I can't say what agency was where we eventually found him because in the end, as happy as he was that we came and we found him and somebody was concerned, he did not want to have any information with his family and did not want us to tell him them where he was. And wow. so, so what do you, you know, do with the family that, I mean, do um, you say he was found, but we have yeah. to, we have to be gentle mm-hmm. and, and their situation, what we said is we have some really great news and we have some news that's going to be hard to hear. And, um, I said, I want to start with the good news that we did find him and he's healthy and he's happy and he's has a good life. But the hard news to hear is, is whatever happened all those years ago, he doesn't want any contact. So we left your, your contact information with him should he choose to call, but we can't tell you where he's at, you know, and that's unfortunate, but we have to respect the privacy of, of those folks. Um, some of them have fairly good reasons why they left. So um, we have other cases where we had a young lady was missing um, for, what was she missing, 10 years, over a decade, and um, we located her and, and she's back with her family now. Um, back here in Washington, which is incredible. Um, the young man that I was telling you about that was robbed and had his uh, uh, his phone and his wallet taken, we were able to locate him and bring him back to Washington State. So there has been some very good successes. And those are the days I think that Don and Hay and Carrie can just say, wow, this, this was a good day. You know, we can sleep tonight. That was a good day. But, you know, a lot of, a lot of, we, we are, we experience um, our grief and our frustrations as well. You know, um, we've never met these people. We've never met these families. But um, when you hear their stories, you know, on a very human side of that, it's it's heartbreaking and it's a little hard to not make it a part of of your your person of who you are. And when and so it's really important for us to find those people as well. Um, one thing I did want to bring up when we talked about our, our list and everything. A lot of what Don and I do is community-led. That list was requested by the community first thing, very first day, called up, said, we want to know who's missing. So a lot of what we do is community-led, either through advocacy groups or grassroots groups or family members themselves calling us and telling us what they want. And they're kind of guiding what we're doing and how we're doing it. So I want to make sure to give credit to them. Are most of your contacts from other uh, law enforcement agencies or from the actual individuals involved? I'd say most of the time it's the families. 
and mm-hmm. they find you they know who to call Chris has been very busy keeping us out there. (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't have known. I wouldn't have known, you know, to call the state patrol. I mean, maybe I'm just particularly thick, but, and I guess what you were saying, Chris, about, um, you know, I mean, when you're desperate, you find resources that you wouldn't think of normally. So, you know. I think the old saying, uh, you know, what's on a drowning man's mind is his next breath. Uh, And eventually we're the next breath for, for folks. We're, we're the thing that they try. And fortunately, we're, we're the ones that, uh, you know, gracious and good people like you're talking to and these ladies answer the phone and, and do their absolute best to, 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 to if not link you with the uh, appropriate investigative uh, body, uh, start doing some work on their own and, and, and trying to, to help you. They're, they're on the phone a lot. Uh, and they've talked about some of the, the success stories. We've had some some tragedies, you know, where we have found remains or we have found, we have found loss. Uh, and um, but again, that's that's a uh, that's a cruel kindness to to a family. Uh, uh, but it's it's better than than the the unknown. Right. So, yeah. So, how many active cases do you have right now? I mean, active, I mean, you told us the 54 and the 52, I think, but, or 51, but how many, I mean, you can't, you can't work every, every, everything every day, can you? I mean, how many are, surely there's a priority? How do, how do you manage it, Patty? Well, Don and I do that together. Um, Today, the count is 105. Um, That's not the highest we've had, but it's not the lowest we've had either. I would say that when we have immediate calls from the family, we get on it with the family and as quick as we can to, um, you know, they say that magic 24 hour period, if somebody is actually endangered and missing, we need to get everybody there to start looking and doing what they do and get the reports in and make sure everybody's aware of it. Um, but also when, I don't wanna say downtime, Don, that's probably not the right way to say it, but, um, we we kind of have like a we've worked out like a schedule of of how often but if we have downtime we'll search those databases for people and that's in the case of the person who had been missing for 10 years that's how she was located mm-hmm. um we've had folks uh we, we use our contacts from past jobs and from uh, people that we've met along the way here to find those resources to help find people. And in that case, we had found a person who had been missing since he was 16 and was 19 years old and um, was working less than a mile from our office, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so that was that was fun. <laughs> when you find a person like that, like that person, do they explain why they never went back to their families? We don't generally have contact with them. We contact the reporting agency and let them know what we found. Uh. Okay. And then they make their contact and they will um, investigate and generally clear the person. Yeah. Huh. Okay. All right. So if you find a person, you contact that agency rather than the family directly? Yes. Even if the family contacted you directly? Yes. Okay. And that's just a coordinated. It's a standard, yeah. standard law enforcement because we don't know what the investigators know that we don't. Yeah. Um, we don't know if this person... Um, is a domestic violence survivor who is hiding from their their person. Um, in one case, um, we received a poster from someone, and it was the the young lady's trafficker who was trying to locate her because she was sequestered for to um, testify against him in court. And so he had put out a missing person poster to locate her. So I wasn't going to call him thinking he's family, you know, and saying, oh, well, I found her, she's over here. We contacted the investigating agency and the agency let us know that um, she was under their protection and she was due to testify in court against him. Yeah, and that was going to be one of my next questions is about domestic violence. A lot of people leave because of domestic violence. A lot of people um, have uh, problems and the the trafficking thing. I mean, what percentage of the people that you uh, deal with or investigate are dealing with those issues? We don't have that information. You don't. Okay. No. So, but but in this case, you knew because you contacted the local agency. Um, I knew because he sent me the poster. (laughs) It was maybe not his best choice, but he sent me the poster. 
actually one of his other ladies sent me the poster to locate her and and I contacted the um, agency that he was trying to say was the um, reporting agency for the poster and talked to the investigator and found out that um, it was a criminal trying to find her but yeah they, he he contacted us directly well yeah <laughs> I'm very thankful for that it wasn't a bad thing did anything happen to him I don't know. They, they, we don't follow. We don't have time to follow the individual cases. Yeah. Um, we'd pass the information along to the investigator, and the investigator handled it appropriately. Oh. Carrie, do you coordinate with like federal agencies and other states? I think you said that you do, but to what extent? Could you explain how you coordinate? Um, well, the national database that holds all these records is um, held at. It's it's a um, it's an agency under the FBI's umbrella or DOJ. So it's the National Crime Information Center. So that we work directly with on a very regular basis. Um, it, as far as the other federal agencies, um, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children or NECMEC, they're a, they're a very strong partner of ours as far as getting the word out, like Chris was mentioning, you know, getting the posters out, the age progression, they're the ones that we work with regularly. Um, the state partners, uh, of course, you know, my counterparts in other states and, you know, I, I'm, I'm lucky enough to be um, kind of a, a side hat that I wear as a, um, the Amber Alert coordinator for Washington State. So that allows me to have interactions and partnerships with all, all of our adjoining states, as well as some of the um, states around the country. So it's very helpful in, in these cases where, like Patty mentioned, they travel to another state. You know, I, I can pick up the phone and call my counterparts in other states and, and, and we have established relationships. You know, we train together, we, we talk together quite, quite often. So that's really helped um, develop those um, uh, partnerships with other states. Yeah. Um, in Washington State, and I didn't keep up with it, but I know uh, a couple months ago, our Washington State Legislature meets, well, supposed to be for three months of the year, at the beginning of each year, and that's the session. It's a part-time legislature. Sometimes they'll call, um, you know, extensions or whatever, um, but it's a, a supposedly a, a brief time, um, and we're just wrapping that up right now. I think maybe... Yeah, actually, I think they just wrapped it up. I'm not sure. I've been kind of out of the loop for the last week. This is this Chris, is the do you last know week. if yeah, the legislature March, March 10th is the last March day. March 10th. I knew we were coming up on it. Um, but there was a, a bill that was proposed. I don't know if it made it through. That would have created a separate kind of Amber Alert system for missing Indigenous people. Did that go through, Chris? Do you know? I don't think it has. Uh, Carrie, it, you may. Carrie, yeah, do you know? Yeah. yeah, it's still on the table. Um, it's in the house, I believe, at this point. Um, so if they get to it in the next few days, it would be established. How would that change your work or help it or hinder it? Or Well, it'd be a significant impact on us as the Amber Alert Coordinator for the state um, and the endangered. We have all of the various missing persons alerts are held um, you know, in our agency. So it'd be a significant impact. Um, I, 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 and, and the workload um, kind of remains to be seen because we're not really sure how many or how, how we're going to establish that criteria. You know, that, that's done through a partnership with all of our stakeholders, with the Department of Transportation, the broadcasters. So all of that is yet to be determined. Um, but if it's anything like any of the other alerts that we've implemented in the, in the past few years, it, it would be an, there would be an impact. Yeah. So, so you're rooting for it? Um, I, I think I have mixed feelings. I think we've we've got established endangered missing persons alerts already. Um, but then giving this particular demographic a title or a name, you know, I I, I see the benefit. So I, again, I, I have mixed feelings. I, I think we already have an established alert, but again, giving a particular demographic a title or a, a you know a, a call sign or a, a you know something to alert the public to that specific group i, I don't think some sort of formalized identity for the general public to to grasp onto sure yeah. i see benefits either way i have i have mixed feelings how many other states have that kind of a system none none 
Not specific yeah. to indigenous persons. No, we would be well, the first. I think, it, I think it might go through because you know how much Washington state legislature likes to be first, you know. <laughs> yeah, we are being watched around the country. I can I can guarantee you that. I've had lots of phone calls. So <laughs> yeah. um Patty, when I contacted you, my first question is, what can I do? I'm assuming that other people are not that different. <laughs> Much, much as I would like to think I'm totally unique and wonderful, I'm not that different from most people. So I'm assuming that that's a question uh, that many of our listeners are saying right now. What can I do? What can I do about this? Um, pay attention. You know, uh, we can't find missing people if we can't see them, if we don't know who they are. Um, if you uh, have a, a, a social media account, and you get a missing persons poster, pass it along. Um, the more people are visible, the more people seen, the more contacts we get, and the more people are found. Um, that would be the biggest thing is just help make people visible, help make people not be gone. You know, just because they're not with us in the immediate time, we have photos and we have information, share that information, pass it along. Um, the biggest thing is you can't find somebody if you don't know who's missing. Chris, how would you answer that question? Uh, I think pay attention is probably the best. The, the other thing too is that we all have to recognize that we're in this together. You know, we, we have to look out for one another. Uh, we, have to, uh, we have to look out for other people's children. <laughs> we, if you see something, you say something. If you see suspicious activity, report it. That doesn't mean being tattletales. That doesn't mean uh, uh, invading other people's privacy. There, there's a difference between the private goings on of a family in a, in, a, in a tense situation and something that you know in your heart just doesn't feel right. There's, there's somebody who uh, is lurking. There's someone who is, is, is where they should not be. There's a young person who isn't speaking, isn't playful, isn't, isn't doing what they should do that you see at a at a, a, a truck stop or you see at a, at a, at a mall or a, a convenience store, there's just something that tells you there's something wrong here. Okay, tell somebody else. Yeah. Uh, let us know that there's something wrong here. Be, be wrong and be embarrassed that you were wrong and that you had a false suspicion. Uh, if that happens a hundred times and one time it leads to somebody knocking on the right door or asking the right question and helping someone who is uh, uh, not where they need to be in life and being either held or being directed or being abused in some way. Yeah, of course, that's my, my phone always going to ring when I'm talking. <laughs> um, if, if you see something, say something. We, we've got to take care of one another. We've got to recognize that there are some really good and decent, most, most folks are really good and decent and love, love their kids and love their families and love their communities. But there's some really bad people out there who take advantage of systems that have overlays and don't have coordination. That's why we're coordinating these systems. There's people out there who, uh, you know, it's like a, a burglar going to a house. That burglar's going to check every window and see which one's open. And he's going to crawl through the, the one that's not locked uh, before he breaks through the front door uh, because it's easier to crawl through an unlocked window. People who are who are going to do uh, harmful things to children, especially, and to, to, to others. My goodness, <laughs> that's somebody who just wants me bad. Um, but people who are going to do that sort of thing are going to look for the vulnerabilities in the system. They're going to look for the inconsistencies. They're going to take advantage of those things. And what we're trying to do here is bring consistencies to the system so that uh, we, we shine the light of, uh, of not just justice and safety, but that kind of administrative consistency as well. I like the, the focus on community because we are a community, um, even though it's a little different than it was 100 years ago, but we are a community. Um, and I think we all uh, we all need to be in this together. So thank you, Patty Gosh. Thank you for Dawn Pullen. Thank you, Carrie Gordon. Thank you, Chris Loftus from the Washington State Patrol uh, for sharing information and for helping us understand the problem uh, that we are having nationwide with missing indigenous people. Thank you. And thank you for listening to Three Women, Three Ways.
I'm Heather Stark, host of Three Women, Three Ways. This week on Three Women, Three Ways, we talk with the Department of Washington State Patrol that deals with missing Indigenous people. Did you know that in Washington State alone, there are 105 missing Indigenous people right now? This department is focused on trying to get answers for their families, trying to relocate them, and trying to solve the problem. Learn about what's going on with other agencies across the nation and what's happening right here in Washington with missing Indigenous people. That's this Sunday, 6 p.m. and Tuesday, 6 p.m. on Three Women, Three Ways on Valley 104.9 FM.